For RCR-TV, I'm Sean Kinney, and welcome to HetNet Happenings, where we take a look at all things DAS, small cell, Wi-Fi, and much more. Welcome back to HetNet Happenings. We've got a Qualcomm theme show for you this week. Uh, earlier in the month, I took a quick trip out to Qualcomm's headquarters in La Jolla, just up the road from San Diego, got to take a look at some of their emerging technologies. I think the folks in the audience who are headed to Barcelona for Mobile World Congress can see these demos in person at the Qualcomm booth. But for those of you who are not making a trip, I'm glad I get to share these clips because this is some really high-tech stuff. Now, Qualcomm cuts a pretty wide swath through the wireless and mobile industries. They supply chips to Samsung for their devices as well as lots of other companies. Chances are your handset has some Qualcomm technology in it. They also play in Wi-Fi, which is what we're going to take a look at first. In this clip, we're going to see what Qualcomm is doing around the 802.11ad Wi-Fi standard adopted by the IEEE. What this does is it expands Wi-Fi from the 2.4 and 5 gigahertz bands up into the 60 gigahertz band. This has a lot of implications for consumers, particularly around next generation video. So think like 4K streaming and that sort of thing. So let's hear from Qualcomm on 802.11 AD. 60 gigahertz we've been working on for since about 2007, 2008. I think you saw at CES and I know a number of you wrote about the demos that we had there and the announcements. Um, basically, we're taking 60 gigahertz and just bringing it to, to be the third band of Wi-Fi. So everything you can do in 2.4 and 5, you'll be doing in 60. And obviously, there are some unique characteristics that um, provide tremendous value in 60 gigahertz, right? So you're going to go up to 4.6 gigabits per second rather than the, the couple hundred megabits per second that you're getting in the 2.4 and 5 band. Uh, extremely low latency, allowing for um, you know basically lag-free video. Um, and we, when we were at CES, we announced pretty much all the categories that that we're going to be shipping in the access points. We saw TP-Link, NEC, Elecom, the PC, Acer, and ASUS, and the first LETV phone here. So before we do this demo, there's also the announcement that we made with Intel. So now, again, all of the products that Intel is, is putting out for, on the PC side will be interoperable with the access points that we're providing. So they, they've been talking about how they're going to open up their IP stack. So in addition to their docking, they'll be doing just traditional Wi-Fi as well. We've been working very closely to ensure that all of the products that we're doing and they're doing are, are working well together. So um, obviously to, to build the ecosystem there. So the two demos that we've got here is first we've got the phone and uh, we basically made it like a little media hub. This is just a reference design that these guys will be bringing to market. For all intents and purposes, that, that is a full access point and uh, video distribution. So if you look in the back of that, you can connect to it. Multiple devices can connect to it. You've got USB and you can add storage in the back of it as well. So you can move pictures and content. So it actually is a full multimedia hub rather than just a video streamer. Um, but we can do video streaming and then here we just have a speed test which is which has got the dial. So when we get to it. So basically this is this is Yeah, so we just hit start here and we're going upwards of two point four two point seven gigabits per second. 
Um, it's bouncing around a little bit, but you know you can see a, a maintained throughput of, uh, of over two gigabits per second into the phone. You guys can go closer. Yeah, far far and away, uh, you know the fastest link that you're going to get in in into the phone. And then the question is again, now that you've got this speed, what do you do with it, right? Obviously, it changes the way you can kind of handle your own personal data. You can do full phone syncs, sync and go type of application instantaneously, uh, point of sale type of applications like kiosks. You can actually buy content and have it, you know, you get off the train station, you go, you buy content, it's on your phone by the time the next train comes. Um, and then the streaming and gaming and low latency applications, uh, that's pretty much what we're, what we're driving here. So we're trying to hit all of the, the different pieces from end to end, from the access point to the, the client side. Um, and then, just what do you? Yeah. Um, other than raw speed or yeah. raw bandwidth, does uh, AD have any latency reducing features over N or AC? Or no, I think look, it, it's basically because of the raw speed. There's I mean, it, it is it is optimized for latency because you know it was built with you know some. Certain applications that have low, very low latency requirements, like it initially was doing some PCI Express, you know, doing wireless PCI Express, wireless USB type of applications. So it does optimize, but you know, again, once you've got the raw speed, then the, you can reduce the compression ratios and the latency just goes down. So, so it gets more than a physical layer change. Yeah. And here we just, again, we're streaming video. Uh, once again, the Snapdragon 820 platform that it's on has four, 4K video encoding and capture. So basically you could take pictures, you could take video, and then you can just put it right up on the screen or take the files, which get pretty large when you're, when you're capturing 4K video and immediately offload them. So once you're part of the, the, the 60 gigahertz network, as soon as you have this big files that you're creating, you can immediately offload them onto your home network. And as we add capacity and complexity to Wi-Fi networks, it's important from a user perspective to provide the intelligence to manage and optimize that complexity. You've heard the buzzword SON, self-organizing networks. In this next clip, we're going to see a great demo of Qualcomm's Wi-Fi SON solution. They've got a Wi-Fi access point and a Wi-Fi range extender with multiple devices connected. So let's take a look to see how this technology dynamically manages the network. Self-managing is basically when you have a network, you have an access point and an extender, a range extender, a repeater. Um, how the devices have to be distributed between them so that there is good load balancing going on. A good example would be in the, if, if, you're, if you're in a home, you, uh, the, the coverage in your bedroom is not good, but you have a TV there uh, working on Wi-Fi. So how, uh, how you can improve the coverage is you put a range extender or repeater in the bedroom. So if you, uh, you carry your phone, uh, the TV works fine with the Wi-Fi there, but in the night you carry your phone over to the bedroom and then it, it basically connects the uh, range extender that's fine, but in the morning when you come down, on its own, phone may not, phone may still be connected to the repeater. You're, 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 you're on your first floor now, very close to the access point, but it might still be connected to the range extender, which means the performance on that phone is pretty bad. It'd be better served if it is connected to the access point. 
So that's a very simplistic example of how you know these complications might creep in. So Wi-Fi is on, you know, with its self-configuring and self-managing capabilities, can switch that uh, connection to the right right link. What layer is this done at? So this is so uh, it is done at the application layer as well as driver. So throughout, I mean, Good. you know, so um, we get we get the phones actually to do measurements and send back reports. Uh, so like you know, firmware layer up to like the managing part, mm -hmm. the algorithm runs on the user space. Yeah. So the 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 Wi-Fi son algorithms are part of a software package that provide along with our chipsets. So. Is a run so on it our is on the firmware that runs on the on the access point. Why not do it at a lower level? Um, well, so, so, so like the IP level. It's already been know the driver actually be no IP. It's in the mechanism. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. So 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 yeah. I mean, um, like you know, we have parts of it in every okay. layer. Yeah. So what we have here is the main access point. Uh, we like which is depicted here on the uh, on the screen, and we have a range extender outside. Uh, we can go there if uh, anyone is interested. And right now, you know, and then both of these uh, access points have two bands: uh, the two five gigahertz band that is depicted here, and the two point four gigahertz band that's depicted up there. Um, and right now, we have these five devices here that are all associated with the uh, 5 gigahertz band to the main router since they are very close to the main router. Okay. Uh, what we also have is uh, traffic going on. There's a Skype call on on this one. So we just have a Skype endpoint here. Uh, you know. uh, and so the beauty of this algorithm is that while the phones <coughs> are in traffic for uh, BTM capable devices that supports uh, 802.11k and 802.11v standards. Um, these devices can be moved seamlessly from one AP to the other uh, without like dropping the call or you know, without any impact to the performance. And actually, you know, the AP will make a decision as to what will serve the uh, device best. So once when we move these phones closer to the range extender, uh, they will be steered to the range extender. If left on their own, uh, they need the uh, RSSI, the signal strength to drop really low before they will move on their own. But we don't want, then the call would suffer. And so we don't want that to happen. So, you know, uh, we have certain thresholds and we move it over if it will be served better by the range extender. Uh, we also do load balancing between the channels. Um, if, you know, if we see that there is uh, more load on one of the channels, and then we will move devices to the other channel so that the performance is optimal. And so we will kind of show you. Yeah. So next, I will move this phone to phone out to the uh, nose to the range extender. You will see they will move it to the extender. Yeah. Uh, so here, I mean, uh, the uh, access points work with the phones. Uh, like I mentioned before, they ask the phones to do measurements, and then they will send a request to steer it to the other access point. But it, uh, the devices can refuse to move. So you know, uh, most of them, yeah. So we did see he took two phones. We did see that they uh, moved to the range extender. Uh, next, what I'll do is start traffic on one of these phones. Um, 
and so as to overload, like I'm going to start traffic on this one, so as to overload the 5 gigahertz band, and uh, we should see phones move, moved up to 2.4 gigahertz. Uh, you will also see that the backhaul link uh, gets shifted shifted there as the traffic starts, I mean, because we have adaptive path selection, and uh, so it selects the best path possible. So the uh, main AP and the um, repeater are, like, the link between them is also Wi-Fi. So you don't need to run any uh, cable or Ethernet cable or anything like that. Now I'd like to move away from Wi-Fi and take a look at two other demonstrations I saw out at Qualcomm. First up, we've all heard about how important millimeter waves are likely to be to an ultimate 5G standard. Now, millimeter wave operates in largely untapped high-band spectrum, and the waves have some challenging propagation characteristics that lots of people are working hard to figure out. In this clip, we're going to see a video link-up between San Diego and New Jersey where some Qualcomm engineers are going to conduct a live demo of millimeter wave beam forming and steering. Millimeter wave as a part of 5G, uh, the usage of a large number of antennas, uh, beam steering and beam switching as key technologies uh, in millimeter wave. So the test bed that we have running and Andreas is going to go through the entire test bed and then we'll be streaming this live from New Jersey. So this is being done in our New Jersey office and we're on a Skype call from there and we'll be showcasing how things work. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, this is the demo that will be shown live in Barcelona as well. And uh, this is our first uh, live 5G demo uh, that we'll be doing. So, Andreas, why don't you get going? I love yeah. what you've done with the place. <laughs> <laughs> it's very New Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, we're ready. So this is my colleague in New Jersey. He's going to actually talk through you know, most of the demo. What you see here is like a three different monitors. On the left side, we basically like see um, this three-dimensional like sphere. And then on the right side, you see more like uh, the antenna configuration on the mobile side. So you have different antenna elements. And he's going to talk about you know, once we see it switch and what they kind of mean. Um, this is actually happening in New Jersey. Um, there's an empty floor in the building, so we're using this as our test bed. You can see here is the um, this is the base station setup, and here's the mobile setup. And basically, we're gonna move that around, and then you will see like kind of the impact on that. It's a 28 gigahertz um, link, and in this case, it's a point-to-point -point link, but the base station could support multiple users as well. And it's at 28 uh, gigahertz um, frequency. So one of the other things we talked about in the morning was that uh, to validate the technology, I mean, we've got to make sure that it works with uh, different kinds of impairments, uh, including non-line-of-sight communication. As in, it's not just that you can see the device in front of you, but even bending around the corners, etc. And um, how do you beam steer accordingly? How sensitive is 28 gigahertz? Uh, for line of sight compared to 60, because six, I'm fairly familiar with uh, 60. Is is there a significant difference for from the user perspective to 28? There is a difference over there, obviously, just because of the propagation mm -hmm. characteristics, it becomes far more stringent. Uh, Non-line of sight is a little more doable with 28 gigahertz, mm -hmm. but it's not like there's a huge difference okay. over there. Uh, 
But I think the key part is some of the uh, extensive amount of beam steering that is done in 28 gigahertz. You don't usually see that in products yet, but uh, in 60, but 28 gigahertz, it's something that we believe that uh, it's not only um, essential because that's the only way we can bring millimeter wave technology into the mobile world. Uh, uh, it's also uh, a, a place of research for us. How many antennas do we need? We talked about two to four receive antennas in the morning. Uh, but for millimeter wave, that's not yet going to cut it. We need a larger number of antenna elements and so on. So Oscar will go into the on, on 60 gigahertz also with our 11AD products, right? Those we demonstrated access mm -hmm. using 11AD. And even there, we say if you have a closed space, you can still get yeah, yeah. coverage. No, I, I, I'm, I'm familiar with it. Line of I'm sight. just trying to get the how different 28 is to Sorry. my okay. expectations on yeah. 60. Yeah, and, and the, the focus of this demo is not so much on data rates. It's more about, I mean, we already do multi-gigabit per second on the 1180 mm -hmm. product. It's really, as Durga and uh, Andrea said, well, being steering technologies to bring it out into the mobile space. Gotcha. Oscar? Go ahead, Oscar. So, so right, right now, what you're seeing is the base station on the, you know, the right side of the screen and the UE on the left side. <coughs> so both of these actually have a phased array uh, system. So for beam tracking and beam scanning. On the base station, we have 128 elements. There are 16 uh, columns, only steerable in the azimuth, so there's no elevation steering. And on the UE, we have four subarrays of four antennas each. And each of those subarrays is a phase array, so they uh, to track the, the base station. Uh, so we'll have a demo of first line of sight operation and then show how the UE tracks the base station by turning the UE. Uh, and then we'll move it back and we'll show how the base station will track the UE in uh, both line of sight and then slightly non-line of sight in one scenario, and then back to line of sight. If you look at the GUI right now, we can see that the base station and the UE are facing each other. So on the, on the right side, where it says millimeter wave base station, the antenna is essentially the beam is essentially pointing straight to the left of your video screen. So it's just right in the middle because it's facing the UE right now. The UE orientation, essentially the UE is about a 30 degree angle facing out of the screen. So where you see the red patches is where the energy is. And that's in that orientation of the video is essentially pointing to that base station. So right now, the base station and UE are pointing at each other. and that reflected in the, the beam pattern of the base station and the red um, heat, map, heat map of the, the UE. So right now, we'll first start by rotating the UE and we'll show that the left part of your screen will track the base station as the UE rotates. And first you'll see that we're on the same subarray as you just saw that there's a, a beam pattern change. So we're on the same subarray. These subarrays are located in four different spots on the form factor type of um, antenna module to really uh, show what, what we would get in the real handset. And as we rotate it now, that it's a, a different subarray. So the subarrays combined cover an omni type of space. So they cover the whole sphere. So as we turn the, the UE, different subarrays kick in and then each of the subways will track the UE, the, the base station. Now we're moving back, and at some point, there's a column right in the middle of your screen, and that actually creates a non-line-of-sight type of 
um, link. It's um, it's hard to tell in the video, but that's actually right in between the UE and the base station. And you can see now that the base station is also tracking UE. Before we were pointing almost directly at the zero degrees, and now we're at minus 20. So as the UE is moving, we're continually tracking it. And the same thing with uh, the UE. The UE is also continually tracking the, the base station. So now we're again back into a minus site type of uh, environment. And the UE is now facing the base station, but now the base station is actually, actually at minus 30 degrees. And this environment actually, even though it's, it's open space like this, it's actually a very rich environment, it's a hard environment to work in because all these the windows that you see are very reflective, highly reflective. There's a lot of metal in this environment that are highly reflective. Um, so it's a somewhat tougher environment to form a link I mean, and track the link than it is outdoors in many ways. So now we're moving the UE further back. And as we move further back, we'll again position ourselves behind a few columns and then eventually get behind the, that partition wall. So that, that wall actually has a, a stairwell and elevator shaft behind it which is you can't penetrate because of uh, cinder blocks. And so now we'll start getting into a mode of operation of through um, either reflections from the windows or diffraction along that edge of the, the drywall. So we're moving back. I think we're still probably on the side. So at this point, we've probably gone to diffraction because you see that the base station is now minus 10. So it's kind of shifted back now it's pointing towards the edge of that drywall, and the UE is still tracking. And as you move further back, when diffraction is not as, as strong as reflection, you might see the base station now move, um, change angle, and go for a reflective path. And throughout this, all the turning and moving, going to line line side, the line side, we've always maintained the link. There's some variability, but we've maintained the link yet through background scanning of the optimal link. Okay, so now we're in a non-line-of-sight position and we're still maintaining a link and we're at our highest MCS level, <coughs> even in this distance. Okay, that uh, concludes our demo. In this final clip, I wanted to show you what's called multi-fire, which is all about running LTE in unlicensed spectrum, which is called LTEU. Now, one flavor of LTEU is LAA, or License Assisted Access. LAA requires an anchor tenant operating LTE in licensed spectrum, which is then boosted with the unlicensed spectrum. With multi-fire, you see LTE in unlicensed spectrum, but without the requirement of an anchor tenant. Let's learn more from Rahul Patel, who's the SVP and GM of Qualcomm's Connectivity Business Unit. The gist of it, the gist of it is exactly the, uh, the same uh, in terms of uh, prototype equipment and uh, it's running in a co-channel deployment, etc. But uh, there are mentioned in the morning as to where multifire is useful 
why it's beneficial in extremely dense deployments when we have a large number of uh, nodes and what we can do with it. So this is uh, uh, a graphical representation of what exactly is a dense deployment. You have a large number of users and you take a look at how much is the uh, C2I or the interference over thermal, I think that's the one over there, interference over thermal of 40 dB. So uh, this indicates that it's a heavily interference limited system here. So the blue colors over here is where you don't have that many users, really it's thermal noise only, but here there's a large amount of interference. It's kind of a way of indicating that. Switch to just uh, disable that or right. click anyway. Just click it. Yeah, so you just take this one out. Yeah, All right, okay. Uh, it's exactly the same picture as before. Uh, it's a different mall-based environment and it's a slightly different uh, configuration. But the key point, as Sanjeev mentioned, is there is no license spectrum here at all. It's purely unlicensed spectrum at this point. Uh, there was a question on what is that P-cell and S-cell. There is no P-cell. There's only one. Uh, there's no primary carrier. There's only one carrier here. And um, we start off by just looking at bidirectional traffic. And as always, we're going to start with every user uh, using Wi-Fi. So in this case, instead of five, there are four sets of nodes. So it's a total of eight nodes, four access points, and four devices. Uh, they're all using Wi-Fi at this point. Similar KPIs again, channel utilization, stepwise, what's the two throughput, etc. But at this point, everyone is using Wi-Fi. And the sum rate, just like previously, we saw that before was about 40 megabits per second. It's exactly the same thing. Now we are going to. Where's the mouse? Ah, there it is. I can barely see it. Ah, there it is. Okay. So we're going to switch one of the nodes to multifire. And that's this one over here. So before we take a look at what happens to that node, let's take a look at the other nodes. All the other nodes, there are three more, uh, three times two, six of them, they're all using Wi-Fi. And you can see that their throughput is either the same or slightly better than before. So coexistence is still preserved. And on the other hand, the user who switched from uh, Wi-Fi to Multifier now has a higher data rate. Uh, this is both for downlink and uplink. By the each of these bar charts, there's like a slightly more solid and a darker region over here. That's the downlink and uplink split. No change in terms of channel utilization uh, characteristics. And uh, uh, it's a fair share of the medium. So what really is the difference, by the way, between this and ELA? And why is it that important that there is no licensed carrier? So in the previous demo when we were doing, it was license assisted. So if I'm a user who's getting served, Defer. <laughs> okay, no, we are good. <laughs> all right. Okay, we are all good. Uh, so, what's the difference between that and this? So, it's only the data that's being transmitted in unlicensed spectrum in, in, the, in the previous time. But before you do that, there's there's uh, a scheduling assignment, you're being told to transmit or receive. There's ACNAC and CQI, grants and uplink and downlink. All of those are sent in license spectrum. That's why it was license assisted. In this case, there's more. 
it's not just the data, but all the channels are going through unlicensed spectrum. There's nothing left on licensed spectrum here at all. So in fact, there's a little bit more load in the system. But in spite of that, we still see a pretty healthy gain of multifier, even for that single node. Of course, this is for this scenario. But we see a healthy gain for that user who switched while maintaining coexistence. Of course, this was one user who switched out of four. And now we can do the same thing with the second user also switching to multifier. So both these users are now on multifier. And uh, they get a fair share of the pie again. Nothing unfair about this part. Uh, it turns out that in this case, uh, these two users are on Wi-Fi. These two users are on Multifier. These two users get, this one was getting 16.5 and now is getting about 16 megabits per second. This user is doing slightly better. And these users are doing slightly better as well. So the overall network capacity, again, which used to be about 40 megabits per second, has gone up to 60 megabits per second. So it is a 50% increase in the overall capacity. Uh, at this point in time. Of course, this is like a, uh, a small uh, uh, scenario wherein we have eight nodes in the same channel. As you densify and you add more and more nodes into the, into the network, uh, the relative gains start to creep up. That's just a sample of the time I spent out in La Jolla. I've got a playlist up on the RCR Wireless News YouTube account that has some really great presentations from Rahul and other high-level Qualcomm guys putting this technology into context for us, so I'd encourage you to take a look at some of those clips. And I mentioned Mobile World Congress at the top of the show. That's February 22nd to 25th in Barcelona, and RCR will be there in force. So I'd encourage you to follow the show at rcrwireless.com, as well as on our RCR TV website and our YouTube channel. In the meantime, I'm Sean Kinney, and thanks for watching HetNet Happenings. HetNet Happenings is a production of RCR TV. To reach Sean Kinney or to suggest a show topic for HetNet Happenings, you can reach Sean at skinney at rcrwireless.com. On Twitter at Sean Kinney RCR. To find out more about the latest in HetNet and all things wireless, dig into rcrwireless.com.